Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. I want to thank you again for joining us this weekend here at Milestone. I want to welcome those of you watching online. We are finishing up our Let's Talk Family series. What a great series it's been. We know family is one of those areas where we care about it so much, but yet many times we feel unequipped or unprepared to deal with the challenges that family brings into our lives. Family is the area where we can feel the most sense of fulfillment and love and acceptance and joy, but also many times nothing can hurt us like our family. And throughout the series, we've learned a bunch of things. First of all, family is God's idea. He created it. He has a vision for your family. Last week, Pastor Jeff mentioned from Ephesians that every family in earth draws its name from God. So there's a plan for your family. There's hope for your family. No family is too far beyond the scope of God's help. I don't know about you, but when you read the Bible, there are some wild, messed up families in there. And so it gives you encouragement to know, hey, maybe my family, there's hope for me as well. You know, and, and in the process, we've been looking and talking about all the different ways that, that we take steps that we grow in this area. One of the things we talked about was going first. And I want to say on behalf of our whole team, there's a group of you that have, that have taken us up on that offer and have gone first and are, are taking a next step. There are more 400 of you joining a freedom group, which is starting this weekend. Can we acknowledge those of you joining those freedom groups? In those groups, you're going to find help and healing and a way to overcome challenges from your past, and a way to have better relationships moving into your future. If you've been wondering, there is still time. There's limited space available for if you're interested in jumping in and joining us, we can't recommend it enough because we know the impact that it'll have on your life. Well, as a team, we were talking about wrapping up the series this last final week, and we were talking about what we might cover. And, and a few weeks ago, we put up a text number, and we said, hey, whatever questions you have, and we've been trying to answer as many questions as we possibly could, but there was this one area that seemed to cover so many of us, whether some, some of you asked, how do you deal with estrangement with one of your siblings? How do you deal with the mother-in-law? How do you deal with a blended family situation where there's conflict? How do you deal with your children when there's, there, it just seems like you're at an impasse and you can't move forward? And so as we talked about it, we thought the thing that we needed to address this weekend was this issue that can sometimes make us uncomfortable, but there's not a person in the room who doesn't deal with it. And there may not be a person in the room who's, who's not avoiding it at some level, and that issue is conflict. If we're gonna have healthy relationships in our families, we're gonna have to deal with conflict because we all have it. And we're gonna look, the Bible has so much to say about how do you deal with conflict in relationships. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter five and what Jesus has to say about the subject. But before we go to Matthew five, I wanted to share with you a little verse I found a few years ago it really just jumped off the page, and, and it's not an exaggeration, it's not preacher speak or hyperbole to say, this little verse in Romans 12 has changed my life. Romans 12, 18, Paul's writing, and in the midst of a series of instructions about relational things, he says this, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Such a simple idea, but so challenging. But there's so much promise, there's so much hope on the backside of this little verse. What he's saying is he's writing to a group of people who knew all about conflict and who knew all about the lack of peace. And if you've ever wondered, how do I get peace in my life? How do I get peace in my relationships? How do I get peace in my home? This verse gives us such a great insight. There's so many things in our lives we can't control. 
We can't control where culture in our country goes. We can't control many times what our boss does or what our spouse does or what our neighbor does or somebody else in our life, our sibling, our mother-in-law, our father-in-law, whatever it might be, we can't control what they do. And as long as we make our peace contingent upon what everybody else does, we live frustrated and anxious lives. But when we come to a place of like, God, as far as it depends on me, I wanna receive and walk in your peace and I want your peace to impact all of our relationships. Now that sounds so powerful and I wish I could tell you I've got this thing figured out. My family is great and let me just say this week, I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but they got together as a group and they said, we want, we want uh, the leader of our home, we want our dad to fully experience this process with us so we're gonna do our part to make sure he has to learn how to overcome in these areas, even in including to the drive to church this morning. This is not theory to me. I was trying to figure out how to get peace in my own car and in my own soul on the way to talk about how we find peace. Maybe I'm the only one. In my home, there's all kinds of people that are, that are there. And <laughs> there's a person in our home who I didn't really choose and I didn't really invite my oldest daughter who now no longer lives with us, she's off at college. She prayed this person into our home. He's not really much of a dog, he's kinda like a living stuffed animal. His name is Coco, this is him. And if you're wondering, yes he is wearing a diaper. You said I didn't know dogs wore diapers. Oh they do. And the reason why dogs wear diapers is because I can't control him and he can't control himself. He's an emotional being, He's, he, he really, really likes me. He has attachment issues. If I get a suitcase out, he starts shaking and jumps in the suitcase. When I go to the office and I get my bag out, he has a full-on panic attack. He wants to be a part of everything that we're doing. I don't really have enough emotional energy for my family and him too, but I try my best because, you know, he's my furry son whether I wanted him or not. And so here we are. There are people in my home I can't control. And some, you know, when we talk about conflict, some of you are like, let's talk less about that. We're trying to not deal with conflict. Some of you are like, finally, it's about time. Let's get after it. I got some of those in my home too, like my 13-year-old son. Um, the other night, we were out for dinner as a family, and he's learning. He's growing. He's a good kid. He has a good heart. He's, he, he learns discipline in different ways than a lot of people. His life verse right now is Proverbs 18.6, a fool's mouth invites a beating. And he regularly is coming up with reasons to put into practice that verse. For example, one of the most recent ones, we went as a, as a family, we went out to dinner the other night, we were having burgers and I ordered a scorpion burger, I love spicy food. Scorpion burger comes with like a sriracha aioli and it comes with jalapenos on it and it's got just the right amount of heat that as you're eating it and finishing it, your mouth is tingling, it's awesome. And I was like, son, that was a great burger. He goes, yeah, you look like you're enjoying it. On the top of the burger as garnish was a whole habanero pepper. Now you may not understand the Scoville scale which rates spiciness but a habanero pepper is 40 times hotter than a jalapeno. So when I finished my burger and my mouth's tingling, I was like, man, I'm gonna finish this experience and go take it to another level. I'm gonna take a bite of this habanero pepper. But, but I'm a man of wisdom, so I took a sensible bite, and I was like, man, son, that's hot. You, you, would you like to take a bite of the habanero pepper? He said, Dad, you are so weak. <laughs> So I said, Here's, yeah, I said, here is this pepper. 
take a bite. Now, to his credit, he took a full-on apple chomp bite of the pepper. He's chewing the pepper. He says to me, in looking in my eyes, Dad, it's not that bad. To which I said, wait for it. <laughs> Few more chews later, his face goes from white to flush red. Water starts pouring out of his eyes. His nose starts running uncontrollably. He is reaching for anything liquid on the table. Water, milk, ranch, anything. He'll just pour it down. He's going, call 911. I'm like, I don't know if he's gonna pass out or throw up, but this is awesome. I no longer looked weak. Now, not every conflict is that dramatic or that funny or that fun, but, but we all have conflict. We all have challenges. We all have situations issues. You have things in your life. We're, we're in graduation season. We're in uh, wedding season. We're in vacation season. Your family's going to get together. And when your family comes together, it's always the same in every family. When the family starts getting together, the spouses have to have a meeting before the meeting. Here's how the meeting goes. You're coming up with the game plan. Who all's going to be there? Is so-and-so going to be there? If so-and-so is there, do you remember what happened last time? What is our safe word? Safe word is the word that if the safe word comes out, we're leaving. It doesn't matter if the, if the meal hasn't been served, we're out, okay? Like, and maybe, I don't know about you, but in our family, if we're having those talks, we'll say things like, okay, if I give you an hour at this event, that means I get three hours at home to watch the game uninterrupted, right? Like, can we negotiate? I know we all do this, right? Because we love our family, but we love them from a distance way more than we love them up close, right? It's challenging, it's difficult, there's pain, there's conflict. I saw this this week, thinking about you and praying for you, I, I don't know if you heard this or not. Stunning, really, to me. We, we care so much, but it's painful. Did you know that according to statisticians, the, the fertility rate, the number of Americans having children is at a historic all-time low, lower than at any point in recorded history. Now, you may not realize it, based on when we have a full stage, multiple services for baby dedications, it is interesting to note that the data says this, the only exception to that plummet to the fertility rate is in church-going people. And I would suggest to you the reason is because only in a relationship with God do you have a proper perspective towards your children. Your children are not the center of your universe and neither are the children an extension of your identity. Your children are a gift from God that it's a privilege to, to raise and to lead to become all that God created them to be. But in culture as a whole, when people look at children, they're like, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if we wanna put in the effort. Maybe it's better for us to just be alone. Now the challenging thing is, technology has helped us in so many ways, but technology continues to make our life more and more convenient, and typically when we say convenient, what we really mean is we make life exactly how we want it to be. We program and set up our world. We watch what we like, we don't watch what we don't like, we do what we like, we don't do what we don't like, and what we do is end up creating a world that's isolated. So as technology continues to improve, people say, I feel like I'm connected to everyone, but I know no one, and we feel alone and we're anxious at unprecedented levels. So there's a tension, what do we do? I love what Jesus tells us here in chapter five of the book of Matthew. Just to catch you up to speed, here's a little context. It's the Sermon on the Mount, maybe his most famous message he ever preached. The audience of people he's preaching to, they've come together and these people don't know conflict in theory, they know conflict in practice. 
They're, they live under the oppression of several layers. They live under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They live under the oppression of the, the religious leaders and the Pharisees all around them. They're trying to find help and they're looking to Jesus to be the person who comes and removes all the challenges and all the things in their life that are creating conflict. And Jesus does for them what he always does for all of us. Instead of focusing on all the external forces, he first starts with you and I. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now what Jesus is doing here is he's bringing back to mind the Old Testament law. And, and when we talk about relationships, when we talk about conflict in relationships, I think almost everyone starts at eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What that means is the way you treat me, I'm gonna treat you. You might call it any number of things. Some people call it karma. Some people call it quid pro quo is a Latin phrase that means this for that. Another term would be a reciprocal relationship. However you treat me, I'm gonna expect that's how you intend to be treated, treated in return. And most of us start at that place, but Jesus starts there, but he doesn't end there. As he always does, he raises the stakes considerably. He said, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Sounds like he's talking about our family. If anyone slaps you, that was a joke. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now maybe you've heard this passage. Sometimes it's used as being a, a picture of nonviolence and there's an aspect of that that's there. But, but really what I think Jesus is doing is something even deeper, something really extraordinary. He's showing us how to handle conflict in relationships, especially when we do nothing to choose the conflict. By repetition, he's throwing us, showing us three similar things in a row. A person who comes up to you and slaps you. We've heard that phrase, turn the other cheek. Maybe you don't understand that in the ancient world, to be slapped was the most grievous insult that anyone could give to you. It was belittling, it was manipulative, it was dehumanizing. In the same way, when we talk about the garments and taking the garments, that was a power move, that was a manipulation move, that was a move to bring, uh, um, to dehumanize, to make a person feel small and helpless. And what Jesus is saying is, if they ask for one, give them the other, because if you gave them the other, it would flip the tables. Instead of being ashamed, because they really only had two garments, and instead of being ashamed that you had no garments, the person who took those garments and put you in that place would be ashamed. And the third one, again, very practical. Every person who he was talking to, it doesn't make sense to us, everyone who he was talking to either had it happen to them or happened to someone they know. A Roman soldier was allowed to pick any person at any point for any reason at any time, give them their very, very heavy military pack and make that person carry that pack in any direction they chose, no matter what they were doing for a mile. But after the mile point, that, that, that Roman soldier, anything beyond a mile, would have been uh, viewed as cruel, and immediately they would have been subject to discipline by their commanding officer. So here's what Jesus is doing. When someone comes to you and creates conflict, when someone is mistreating you, you can't control when someone slaps you, or belittles you, or dehumanizes you, or makes you do something you don't wanna do. You have no control over that, but you're the only one who has control over how you respond to it. Look what he goes on to say. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What Jesus is saying is this. You can't control the way other people treat you, but you're the only one who can control whether or not you choose to be belittled, manipulated, or to maintain your dignity, your character, 
and your conviction. To look someone in the eyes and saying, I'm not giving an eye for an eye, but I'm not just gonna become a victim that you can treat however you wanna treat. I'm gonna hold to the standards of character and conviction and my identity about who I am in the eyes of God. And when you do that, it changes the dynamic of your relationship. You might be saying, well, I, I, Jed, I, I don't can't remember the last time someone slapped me or tried to take my coat or make me carry a pack. All of us every day have opportunities. Maybe it's being overlooked at work. Maybe it's belittled in a meeting. Maybe at a family gathering, everyone brings up your greatest failure. Maybe it's you're out on the road and someone cuts you off and your immediate instinct is, if they cut me off, I wanna cut them off. And every one of us, every day, has opportunities, especially with the people who love us the most because they can hurt us the most, to be hurt by something that seems small and slight. And when we hurt, we make a vow on the inside that said, you did that to me, I will do this to you. And Jesus says, be careful. Be careful where your heart goes. What you think is changing them is really doing damage to you. So if we were to summarize this, how do we say what Jesus is saying? Maybe a helpful way to think about it is this. You can't have peace without healthy conflict. And you can't have healthy conflict without boundaries. What Jesus is really doing in these three instances is saying, Here's how you know this is the part that you can control and this is the part that's beyond your control. As Paul was saying, here's the part that depends on you and here's the part that does not depend on you. And boundaries, it may, might sound like a technical term and that sounds so formal and if you're wondering, it does come from a, a, a seminal book by, by two doctors, Cloud and Townsend, and it's a fantastic book, but everything they say in there is biblical and here's what I want you to see. More than a, a, a formal, strange way to relate to people, boundaries create safety, they create space. They create terms on which spouses can relate to each other, siblings can relate to each other, people in an office can relate to each other, friends can relate to each other, and they do it in a way that allows you to separate what's the emotion, what's the pain, what's the wound, and what's the person? What was their intent and what's my response? Because all of us, at any, any given moment, have the capacity to overreact, to, to respond in kind, to create a greater hurt where we were hurt, or to ignore it and stuff it. You, you might say, well, Jed, I don't need any of that because I don't really have any conflict in my life. Well, if you don't have any conflict in your life, I would like to meet you um, because that, that would be fascinating, but, but I would be willing to bet you probably just haven't been honest about the conflict in your life because here's what I know about all of us. All of us... You know, no matter how much you like yourself, one of the things I've learned about myself is that as I've gotten older, I've realized as much as I think I'm amazing and fun to be around, I'm an inquired paste. <laughs> I'm kind of a weirdo. There are things that I like that I enjoy that seem like that's the way life should go, where when my wife is honest with me and in a moment where we're having one of those talks or my children are honest with me, they're like, Dad, I don't know if you know this about yourself, but that's not normal. And I'm like, really? Well, if it's not normal, everybody else should do what I do, right? Now, if you've ever found yourself in one of those talks, I, now, again, I get a little nervous sometimes, speaking on behalf of all redheads and gingerdom everywhere. We are an oppressed group. Pray for us. Still waiting on that apple emoji. Anyways, not to perpetuate the stereotype, but often we're considered to have tempers. And there have been times in my life where I've known to have a temper. 
One of my friends recently said, really, you have a temper? I've never seen it. We've been friends for a while. I've never seen it. I said, that's because all of my energy at some point or another is being directed and channeled towards not erupting an emotion at any given point. I'm kind of like the Hulk. That's the one way I'm like the Hulk. There's a thing, neurologists tell us in our brain, it's called the amygdala. And your amygdala is part of, it's like the bird brain, and here's what it does. It's the fight or flight reflex. All it can do is fight or flight. Either I'm gonna fight you or I'm gonna run away. So the amygdala in an interaction, interpersonally, interrelationally, you might be a one, and somebody would go like, you know, that's what you're wearing, just theoretically, um, while you're going to church, and somebody would say, Dad, don't, don't do that, You're, you don't look cool and, and you represent us and, and it'd be like, I feel like I look cool. And, and this is all theoretical and, and that's a two, they're trying to help you and you respond with, I am cool and you're not cool and if you were more like me, you would be cool. Um, that would be an overreaction. And so in your mind, in your brain, a boundary goes, look, they're not talking about my worth or state of coolness as a person, they're trying to help me. See, a boundary gives you the ability to go, okay, I can't control what they say about my outfit or how I look or how I talk or how I sound or any of those other things. But I can control how I respond to them and how I react to them. Every one of us has a choice to make. Whether you're watching online or you're here in person, every day we have conflict and we have choices. Am I gonna respond at a 10? Am I gonna take things nuclear? Am I gonna stuff it and not say anything? Because we know you're out there too. There's twos all the time and you stuff, 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 and then instead of a 10, you erupt it like a 20. And we're, there's like hazmat suits and nuclear fallout when you finally have had enough and you explode. How do we get around that? How do we deal with conflict? How do you have healthy conflict? Three things before I pray for you. The first one, back to this idea of boundaries. You have to remember you were responsible to others and for yourself, this one little idea, if you can just get this one little idea, I believe this idea is powerful enough to change your life. I, I love this concept and I'm gonna do my best to, to communicate in a way that you can get it because I believe this concept can change your life. Here's where it starts, okay? There's you and there's others, every one of us. This is what life looks like when there's no boundaries. It's just kind of the whole world together. And your problem is everybody's problem and everybody's problem is your problem. Now there are some people who like living that way because they always feel needed. But let me tell you, if your problem is everybody's problem and everybody's problem is your problem, you may feel needed, but you're always gonna feel frustrated, anxious, stressed, and upset. You will never experience peace. The only way to get around just having everybody's problem be your problem is to figure out what are you responsible for? What's your boundary? So you have to draw a box. This is what I'm responsible for. As far as it depends on me, this is what I can control. These are the things my attitude, my actions, my thoughts, my behaviors, my generosity, the way that I respond, I'm the only one who can speak to those. So you have to figure out what that is. Then the third thing is, you begin to live with these boundaries. And you say, I'm gonna live my life only worrying about, only trying to control those things that I am responsible for. These are the things that I am responsible for, and the things that I can't control, I'm responsible to. I can't respond, if I'm gonna say I'm responsible for my attitude, my actions, my words, my behavior, in my interactions with others, all I can control is how I communicate those things in a way that's the most loving and the way that's most healthy. Once they're gone from me, I am no longer responsible 
for how the other person receives those things. So many of us spend so much energy, if I just said it the right way, they would do this. Maybe not. If I just did it this way, or if I was just more loving, if I am more patient, more considerate, you can't control how anyone else responds to the things that you do, think, and say. You have to ask yourself, am I thinking and doing and saying in the most loving, consistent way that I possibly can? That's where everything starts. You have to start at that place. Here's the second thing. You recognize peace and forgiveness do not mean trust or approval. This is one of the most common sources of pain. It's one of the first things that you'll learn if you do go to a freedom group, this idea that, okay, as a follower of Christ, within your boundary, none of us can choose to say, well, forgiveness isn't in my boundary. If you're a follower of Christ, forgiveness is not an option. No matter who comes to you, no matter how evil they are, if they hurt you, if they abuse you, if they injure you, if they slander you, no matter what they do, it is not an option and is not within your realm of responsibility to say, I don't have to forgive that person. And you might think, well, that sounds so damaging, so difficult. No, that's not for them. That's for you. Because nothing will mess up your soul more than prolonged unforgiveness. It doesn't hurt the other person, it hurts you. So you have to learn to let everything go. Be quick to forgive. Now, some people get confused and they think, well, if I'm quick to forgive, what that means is it's just an open door policy that that person who abused me, who injured me, who hurt me, can come and have full reign anywhere in my life. No, 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 no. That's what Jesus is saying, don't live that way. That's not, that's not a boundary. That's like an imaginary line. See, you have to understand, okay, especially when it comes to domestic uh, or physical or emotional abuse, it's not loving to continue to perpetuate an environment where people can be injured and abused beyond the scope of what's reasonable or acceptable. Don't stay in that place. But it's not also reasonable to go so far the other way. I've seen people where their problem with their boundary is their boundary is really just an imaginary line that no one honors or respects and everyone tramples. The other extreme is to build a wall around your life. And you say, I got hurt, I'm never being hurt again. I'm not letting anyone in. A wall is not a boundary. A boundary is a fence that lets the good in and keeps the bad out. And see, if it's not clear in your mind, if the boundaries aren't clear, it becomes very, very difficult. And ultimately what you end up being is led by your emotions. And all of us are susceptible to being led by our emotions because our emotions seem so trustworthy, but our emotions can lead us to a difficult place. I was thinking about this recently where I've been noticing a prevalence and, and I think they're really funny and fun. Anybody seen these letter boards? You seen these letter boards online anywhere? I like a few of these. Look at this one. People need to understand the difference between want and need. Like I want abs, but I need tacos. Amen. I will co-sign. Tacos are a greater priority than abs in my life. Here's another one. I need cake because Monday. And really, that's where a lot of us live. I didn't get to control what day it was. It's Monday, so this is really hard. I need, whatever it may be, it's a humorous thought. But here's the idea. If you're not careful, if you're led by your emotions, your boundaries will be trampled. And when your boundaries are trampled, it makes it really difficult. Because when you have toxic, dysfunctional relationships, the toxicity that doesn't stay in those relationships, because it gets in you, it begins to bleed into your other relationships. Which leads us to the third thing. You gotta communicate clearly and honor boundaries. See, it, it, this is so important. Because the communicating clearly, it, it's hard. It takes emotional energy. It takes an intentionality. You have to think about what you're saying. 
You have to think about, how do I say this in a way that's honoring and that's loving? Man, if I only could have learned this the first few years of my marriage, our marriage would have been so much better. We had so many fights where there were no boundaries at all, and it was just like, if you bring a, a, a knife, I'll bring a gun, and we just, with our words, the violence just kept escalating in our home. And it got to the point where, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but you ever have a fight with yourself in front of the other person? Like, yeah, I say this, and whenever I say this, you always say that, and when you say that, I say this, and so the other person's just watching you have a fight with yourself, whether it's a sibling or a friend or a spouse or a child. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, maybe that's just happened to me. Can I suggest to you a better way to interact with each other, a more considerate, more loving, more boundaried way would be, okay, you please, I wanna hear what you, you have to say. The person says something to you, and you say, when you say this, Here's what I hear, and then here's how this makes me feel. Is that what you were intending? You know, so many times we get, we overreact that Amidala starts firing and we start saying, well, well, you feel, you're, you know, you're always this, you're feeling that. You can't tell the other person what they're feeling. When you communicate clearly, you say, let me, I wanna, I care about you, and I care about our relationship. When you say this, tell me what you really mean. It could be so hard with our eight-year-old and our seven-year-old. They're big, emotional, very, very talkative children. And they'll talk all day long. And then I was like, tell me what you're feeling. And they don't say a single word. Why? Because it's hard. We have to learn how to verbalize our emotions. It doesn't come natural, but it makes such a huge difference. I was talking to a young man the other day. And he was like, Pastor Jed, I'd like to get your input on something. I was like, what? He's like, any, any advice before I get married? I'm getting ready to go uh, talk to her dad. I'm gonna go ask her dad for permission to marry his daughter. I said, okay, advice number one, don't do that, okay? That's the wrong word. Absolutely, it's very thoughtful and courteous to go ask for his blessing, but if you ask for his permission, what are you gonna do if he says no? Did you think about that? He goes, no, I didn't think about that. So now you either blatantly disobey him or if he agrees, you set him up as the approval police for your marriage for the rest of your relationship. That's a really bad strategy. He goes, I'm really glad I talked to you. I was like, you should be. <laughs> and the reason I could say that is because I had that kind of a conversation with my father-in-law. And I couldn't meet all of his criteria, but the ones that mattered most, we came to an agreement and because of that, our relationship was better. When you communicate clearly, it's difficult, it's emotionally taxing, but you give yourself such a better chance to have a healthy relationship. For those single people out there, this is so important if you're single or single again. In so many ways, the area where relationships get off on the wrong foot is because they don't communicate well. Guys, let me say this to you. You gotta man up. It's not a high, call, or it's not a high responsibility move. Like I was talking to a guy and he's like, I like this girl. I was like, what are you gonna do? I was like, are you gonna talk to her? Are you gonna ask her out for a date? Are you gonna ask her out to coffee? He goes, well, we really don't do that anymore. I was like, well, what do you do? We text. I was like, well, what do you text? He goes, well, you just text like, what's up? I was like, that's low level. You could text that to anyone. How in the world is she supposed to understand what you're doing? If you text that to my daughter, I, I check her texts. I may text you back and be like, sup, not you. That's what's up, right? Or here's another move that single people do. You, you, I heard about this one, ghosting, right? Like, you're talking to someone, whether it's a friend or it's a romantic deal, and all of a sudden you just disappear. No more text, no more communication, you're just gone. That's low level. If you react, if you treat people, if you relate to people that way, you're gonna have dysfunction across the board. People of character, 
people of responsibility, people who have boundaried, healthy relationships. It doesn't mean that your first date is, will you marry me? It also doesn't mean whether you're a guy or you're a girl. Don't do this move either. You're trying to shield yourself from being hurt. But if you go like, hey, a bunch of us are hanging out. Do you wanna hang out later? And they're like, okay, I'll, I'll hang out with you guys. Who else coming? Well, a whole group of us. Then they show up at your place and there's kind of like a candlelight table for two. You've tried to get a dating loophole. You tried to get a date without asking for a date. That's low level. What you wanna do is be considerate and clearly communicate your intention. Define relationships, define expectations. Honor other people's boundaries. When you honor other people, when you think, your, this relationship matters more to me than getting what I want, the chances of you having healthy relationships, no matter who it's with, will go up greatly. Why don't we do this more? Because all of us face the same challenge. We don't want to be hurt. We're trying to manufacture a way to have relationships where we don't have to be vulnerable, and guess what? There is none. You can't have loving relationships without being vulnerable. Now, God doesn't want you to send your whole life, spend your whole life being in pain. But you, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. God who needs nothing, his holy sufficient, all of his emotional needs are met. He created you and I knowing full well that we would hurt him. That there would be things about us, many, many, many things about us that he would love to change. But he doesn't change us without involving us in the process. God honors our boundaries. When we live a life where we're vulnerable, where we're loving, where we're considerate, where we go first, where we say, I can't control how you behave, but I can control how I behave, you can take that, every single one of us. It doesn't matter if it's a spouse or a sibling or someone at work or a roommate or a friend. Every one of us, if we're willing, can say, God, because you've loved me so well, I'm gonna love others well. Let's pray. Jesus, we sense your peace. Lord, we know the way you love us, the way that you serve us, the way that you invite us into peace, not the absence of conflict, not the absence of challenge, but a better way, a higher way. Lord, I'm praying that every one of us, Lord, in these areas of conflict where we're afraid to have the conversation, where we're afraid to make ourselves vulnerable, we're afraid, what if I do that and they don't respond right? God, I pray that out of our love and commitment to you, we would live committed, whole, healthy lives. Praying for every person here and their areas of conflict that you would bring supernatural peace. Not of our willpower, not just out of technique, but out of your presence that's in us, that's flowing through our relationships. God, we thank you for our families, for this season together. I, I pray that this place and in this community, we would be a place of healthy, life-giving, not perfect, but whole and peace-filled families. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 